back. It's only been a couple of days. This is episode 175 of the Barnhart Podcast. Today is Friday, June 17th, 2022. And I apologize if you can hear the fan in the background, but it is really hot. And I'm not going to apologize for trying to stay a little bit cool, which actually kind of plays into the topic we're going to talk about. This isn't a full regular podcast. It's more of a um, kind of like a blog post companion podcast. Um, you may have seen the, the stories in the news recently about the, the great cattle uh, catastrophe in western Kansas. Thousands upon thousands of cattle dying. And this just happens to be something that Anne is uniquely qualified to talk about. She was a cattle... <laughs> just, just so happens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah she, your, your expertise was um, financial markets having to do with, with lives. Actually, you know what? You could probably say it better than me because I almost called you a cattle rancher and I know that's not right. So take it uh, away, cowgirl. Well, I mean, I had, I had you know, physical, physical bovine holdings, um, but... Yes, my area of professional expertise is, in fact, bovines and all of that that's going on out in western Kansas. It's it's centered around Ulysses, Kansas. That's all my old stomping grounds. That's where all my old clients were. That's, uh, that's exactly who I was dealing with day in and day out, and that is you know, largely feedlot operators. And, you know, I, I saw the the thing and the the video that was posted and oh yeah it's horrible that video is is awful uh, absolutely and i want to make clear that i don't blame anybody who saw that and you know w took one look at that and thought oh my goodness this is just this is horrible and nothing like this this is a complete bizarre catastrophe and what is going on here and is is bill gates poisoning all the cattle in in kansas I know it looked bad, but you know, guys, let me tell you, um, give, given the meteorological situation in Southwest Kansas over the past week or so, I don't know if it's over a week now or when exactly it started, what you saw in that video, that's that kind of thing happens when you have a when you have massive, huge confinement feedlots as there are in Southwest Kansas. That's basically the epicenter of confinement feeding of cattle, which is, which is the huge lion's share percentage of all of the beef that you eat and consume is finished in confinement feed yards, okay? That's why when you buy quote unquote grass-fed beef, it's so much more expensive because it, it takes a long time to finish an animal on grass as opposed to finishing it in a confinement feedlot by just pumping it full of basically corn. Um, so most cattle are finished and taken to slaughter weight in a confinement feedlot eating corn. And the, the epicenter of that is right there in southwest Kansas, the Texas Panhandle, the Oklahoma Panhandle, and up into western Nebraska and eastern Colorado, that country. It gets it gets hot and what happened as i as i learned the situation that happened with the weather in southwest kansas is that not only did it get really hot and really humid but <laughs> anybody who's ever been to, to western kansas or has any experience with western kansas knows that western kansas is notorious for just ceasing maddening wind there are people that move to Southwest Kansas and say, I had to leave because the constant, constant wind just drove me crazy. Well, here's what happened. It got hot and it got humid. We're talking triple digits with, with humidity heat index on top of that. 
and the wind stopped for whatever reason, you know, whatever happened in the atmosphere, the, the air just stopped moving. Okay, cattle in a feedlot at that point, if they're already weak and they're black, which all those cattle were, if you watch that video, I think almost every one of those carcasses was black. Well, imagine this, you're, but you go outside, you go outside yourself in triple digit heat after eating basically the equivalent of Thanksgiving dinner. So that's what's inside of your belly. And in fact, it's worse than that for them because they're literally cattle are fermentation vats. The rumen is a fermentation vat. So they're eating all of this stuff and it's just fermenting and fermenting in the rumen. And, and the rumen is their is stomach number one. They have four stomachs, but the rumen is number one. And it's this huge vat and it's generating enormous amounts of heat. Okay, so they're they're standing outside in a dirt pen, no shade, no cover, nowhere to go. It's triple digit heat. Their belly is full and at all times and they're generating tremendous amounts of heat. They're black. They are genetic they genetically come from bovines that were in Europe and England, actually, most of those black cattle, they're Angus, Aberdeen Angus. Where is Aberdeen? And I'm guessing Aberdeen in Scotland, that's not exactly humid weather. That's not like Spain, is it? Not, not, not quite, not quite. In fact, the cattle that are built to take heat, and you'll see these cattle down in, down in Texas and, and down further south, New Mexico, cattle that are out in Arizona, they're either full blood or they're cut. Most of them are, are half blood cut with um, what literally called boss indicus, which is the, the Indian type of cattle. And if you've ever, if you ever watch the rodeo and you see those bulls with that big weird hump and the ears that droop and hang down, but the, the, the most telling feature about those cattle is the big hump that they have. Those are the Indian cattle as in from India, dot India, not, not, not Indians with a feather, over in Asia, those Asian Indian cattle, the ones that they worship and they refuse to eat. Okay, those cattle are built to live in extreme heat. The ones that we have in the United States aren't. And, you know, so when I, when I hear about this and then I hear about what the weather did, and you tell me there's only 10,000 dead, that's all? In all of in all of the entire state of Kansas, there's only ten thousand deads in the feedlots. Well, how Guys, many how many cows are we talking about in Kansas? Is, is it a uh, hundred thousand, or are we talking about more cows in Kansas than made up Democratic votes in the last election? There's over six million cattle in Kansas, and of those, over two million are in confinement feedlots in the western half of the state. So you've got two million plus or minus, you've got 2 million cattle on feed in Kansas, and you tell me that there's only 10,000 dead, and my response to that is, dude, is that all? That's pretty minor. So what happened is that somebody, you know, they had their phone, and as we all do now, and can take, you know, really high-definition video of stuff, as is this relatively new pheno phenomenon, and you can put your little video clip on Twitter or TikTok or wherever you put it, and everybody can see when an event like this happens, and here's all these dead cattle. Now think about, just think about the video that we've all seen. How many cattle were in that video? Well, you know, it's probably a couple hundred. 
there's probably a couple hundred in that video. Um, now, if you're talking about a hundred, a 100,000 head feedlot, and they've got a couple hundred deads, and they've they've taken loaders, big front scoop loaders, and they've obviously they have to get those dead cattle out of the pen. So they get them out, they line them all up. I suspect what they're probably going to do is they've got them all. All the deads are lined up. They can't they can't process those cattle. I mean, those are just bloated, disgusting, rotted corpses. They're they're a total loss. And also, even if they weren't a total loss and you could haul them somewhere and, you know, throw them in a tank and boil them down, which is literally what they do with deads like that um, for dog food, basically. Even if you could do that with those with those cattle, and I don't think you can, can you imagine how much it would cost in diesel to haul those carcasses to a rendering plant and throw them in the tank and boil them down for what, three cents a pound, four cents a pound? Maybe that's the salvage value. Okay, with the cost of diesel the way it is, there's there's absolutely no way on earth that that could pencil if you could even do it, which I don't think you could. I think what they're doing is they were lining those carcasses up and they're going to come in with a with a caterpillar or some sort of a you know, some sort of a, a, a scoop shovel situation and they're going to dig a huge trench and they're going to push all of those carcasses into a trench and they just have to bury them like that. That's kind of standard operating procedure. So yeah, it looked bad, but guys, this has happened. This has happened since time immemorial. This is a built-in cost of, of feeding cattle in confinement feed yards. Gets hot in the summer, you're going to have some deads, especially if they're already weak, especially if they already have like some sort of a low-grade latent respiratory virus. By the way, respiratory viruses are the primary the primary bugaboo with cattle. <laughs> so uh, big, big Pharma knows all about respiratory viruses, if nothing else, from, from their animal health division. Um, and I would imagine packing tens of thousands of, of cows together on a confinement feedlot would make it more likely for cows to catch a respiratory condition and spread it to others, possibly? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. This is this is the big problem. And yes, ultimately, someday, <laughs> someday it would be wouldn't it be great if we could go back to a more um, I don't want to sound granola, but more of a, definitely a more holistic approach to raising cattle so that it's it, it's more uh, diffuse throughout North America. So it isn't so horrifically concentrated. The reason why it is where it is now in Texas Panhandle, Southwest Kansas, Western Nebraska is because they're they're finishing them on grain. They're finishing them on corn. And the corn is grown there in, in that area. But the problem with that is, is that you shouldn't even be growing corn in that part of the world. It's way, way, way too dry. Your, your corn is a tropical grass. It is a tropical grass by definition. And you're out there trying to grow that stuff in basically arid highland flirting with being desert and the only way you can do that and if anybody has any knowledge or information or experience with this part of the world is they have to be irrigating 
And so what they do is they, they dig wells that hit the aquifer. There's a huge aquifer under that part of the world, massive. It's like an inland sea that's underground of fresh water. They dig wells and they pump water up out of that aquifer. The big one in Kansas and Nebraska is called the Ogallala Aquifer. And they're just, they're just draining that thing. They're absolutely draining the aquifer, irrigating corn to grow it unnaturally in an environment which corn is not suited to grow because obviously Western Kansas is not tropical. Um, and so, but then, okay, they've, they've grown all this corn, this irrigated corn, so they raise the cattle right there where the corn is. So they harvest the corn, they build the feedlots, they feed the cattle the corn in that part of the world. Also, it's sparsely populated and feedlots stink to high heaven. Um, you know, that's always a concern and a fight with the people who live in those, in those areas in Southwest Kansas, et cetera, is the stench. And also, let's be honest, um, the, um, the pollution of the aquifer itself from the uh the waste that the cattle produce when when you concentrate that many animals i mean I, again i'm spitballing but just going from my my guesstimation from that area i think if you draw a 100 mile radius around ulysses kansas you've got to be flirting with a million cattle on feed in confinement feedlots. I mean, all those towns all around there, Syracuse, Tribune, um, Scott City, Dodge City, um, Lakin, uh, Liberal, every, everywhere down around, that whole area, all of Western Kansas into Western Nebraska, down through Oklahoma, the Oklahoma Panhandle, and down into the Texas Panhandle, and all of Eastern Colorado all of that country is just massive 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 feedlots and some of like i said some of those feedlots have over a hundred thousand cattle in them um so then there's there's a bunch of them that have like you know thirty-five thousand head which is is considered a medium-sized feedlot in that part of the world is thirty-five thousand head so so going back to your your brokerage days you for anyone who's hearing this podcast and hearing you for the first time who may not know your background uh you were a cattle and commodities broker based out of the denver area so this is your stomping ground that western yeah. kansas colorado this is your specialty you're not just you know you didn't just no. look this up on on uh, wikipedia no after i'm not spending, reading a wikipedia article here a, after no. spending the night at a holiday inn this this <laughs> was this was your specialty um and, and you did this for years and the the idea of, of having several thousand cows die in, in a heat heat wave this I, I would imagine happened multiple times during your professional tenure oh absolutely and between between heat waves and then in the winter you'd have huge die-offs from blizzards or ice storms cattle i mean but the cattle the cattle are worse off in heat than they are in the cold because their thermal neutral zone is much lower than than ours as human beings for the reason that i was talking about earlier their ruminants, which means that they have this gigantic first stomach, 
that is a fermentation vat so that they can eat grass and cellulose. And then if you really want to supercharge them, you feed them grain, you feed them corn or, or even soybeans or even wheat. You can feed cattle wheat if, it prices, if the price structure works. So they've got this huge stomach that's just a fermentation vat producing tremendous amounts of heat. They've got a huge, they've got fat covering them. They have a fur coat covering them. So the top end, cattle start getting hot, like stressed hot. If the outdoor ambient temperature goes above 55 degrees Fahrenheit. Now stop and think about that for us. I mean, I, I suppose big fat guys, who are kind of notorious for being hot all the time and wanting to have the air conditioning turned on all the time, big fat human men probably start to get hot at between 75 and 78 degrees Fahrenheit. You know, I'm comfortable, I'm very comfortable into the eighties. Um, but, but normal human beings we're, we're okay in the, in the upper seventies, they start getting hot in the in the upper 50s so you can imagine if there's a heat wave and the heat index is 105 and there's no wind and they're they're on feed so they're just they're they're rumen is just filled with corn and it's just burning this corn like a furnace they're all black because angus you know certified angus beef and that's the most that's the most popular uh, color of cattle. When I was a kid, the most popular was like um, Hereford, you know, red with white spots. Um, no, most of the cattle now are all black. So, you know, they're, they're out there and it's 105 and they don't have any means of getting rid of that heat. They, they will die and you would die too. You would die too if you had to stand outside all day, every day, and it's it's sunlight, it's daylight, and it's hot for how many hours a day now? I mean, where I am, the sun, it starts to get dusky. The sun starts to come up at like 4.30 now. Um, it's, it's the heat of the day at about 10.30 a.m., and that lasts until about 9 p.m. It only starts to cool off at about 9 p.m., so they're getting they're getting the brunt of that and um they can't take it and neither could you if you were in that situation if that if that were you and you had to go stand outside with no shelter no wind and you and you had to wear a fur coat um you'd die too now also what if what if you were sick what if you had a little bit of a virus what if you had a little bit of the coup or any other cold or any other flu or anything else, which a lot of those cattle do. They're just, they're always kind of low grade latent. They've got a, a little thing working in their respiratory system and you can't, you just can't breathe a hundred percent and you can't get rid of that heat through respiration. You'd die too. You'd absolutely die too. So that's what happens. The, the cattle just die. And it's always been a thing and it always will be a thing. And like I said at the beginning, I don't blame anybody for seeing that video and being freaked out. But believe me when I tell you this has happened before and it will happen again. And the only difference now, the way I see it, is that we all have, you know, baby televisions that we carry around in our pockets that also happen to have high definition 
um, video cameras built into them and we can upload absolutely anything at any time in high definition to the internet. And that's the only difference. If, if that, if that technology had existed, you know, 30, 40 years ago, you would see the same things. You would see heat loss, death loss like this in the feedlot sector. And you'll also now this winter brace for the same thing. At some point, I can promise you, there's going to be a blizzard or there's going to be an ice storm somewhere. And somebody's going to take pictures of a bunch of dead cattle and everybody's going to freak out. And the powers of be are going to say, oh, look, global, uh, cli global climate catastrophe change. We all have to go lock ourselves in our house now because we're changing the environment and look at all these dead cattle. Well, no, that's not what it is. And also the sheer the numbers here. How many head of cattle do we kill per day, Monday through Friday, in the United States? It's 125,000 head a day that we slaughter in the United States. I mean, we, we eat just a little bit of meat in, in this country. So we're killing 125,000 head of cattle a day. We're, kill, we're killing like 360,000 head of hogs. Now, we're not talking about hogs in this, in this context, but... I mean, if you if you tell me 10,000 head of cattle died in the state of Kansas in total, while to some people that sounds like a lot and Bill Gates is now going to completely starve everybody to death, actually, if you know the numbers, it's a drop in the bucket. It's actually not not very much at all. So is it possible that maybe people are just a little more sensitive to topics like this right now and not, oh, the, course, not the animal yeah. rights people because they've always been a little diluted and overly sensitive to this, but because there have been apparent supply chain enemy mm -hmm. action attacks on the food food uh, chain, plus the um, logistics with, with having to do with, with uh, like I said, diesel and, and getting crops yep. and, and getting things around, maybe there's a little more attention on this from people who ordinarily yeah. might not have noticed simply because they're looking for uh, they're, they're looking for enemy action where it isn't yeah, kind of like we were exactly. talking about on the, on the last podcast. So if, you, if you're looking for, for a particular kind of, of influence where it doesn't exist, it's still possible to see it in certain circumstances. Maybe people are just a little too overly amped up and looking for attacks on the supply chain. Exactly. Absolutely. 100%. That's exactly what's happening here. And believe me, Bill Gates as I said in my blog post, which this podcast is a companion piece to, Bill Gates is absolutely 100% one of the most evil human beings alive on the earth today. He is trying to um, depopulate. He is trying to reduce the human population. He is trying to eliminate the consumption of meat. He is trying to gain control of the total food supply. Th this is 100% true. However, having said that, if you have a heat wave in southwest Kansas where the air stagnates in, at, in late June, you're going to have a bunch of dead cattle. And it's not Bill Gates and his minions sneaking around and poisoning, um, poisoning feed, feed yard rations. That's not what this is. So... We have to be smart. We have to have credibility on these things. We can't be running around with our hair on fire. As somebody sent me sent me an email, um, like within minutes after me posting my blog post, saying thank you very much for posting that because yeah, people, 
people don't understand these dynamics and they're running around with their hair on fire over this. That's not what this is. And we, we have talked about this before recently on the podcast. And that is um, one of the, the gifts of the sacrament of confirmation is, is the gift of counsel, C-O-U-N-S-E-L. And what the gift of counsel means is that you are able to accurately, quickly, in real time, size up a situation, you know, um, and not, not make a mistake the way is the way people are making a mistake right now with this situation saying 10,000 head of, of cattle dead clearly means there's not going to be any beef in the supermarkets anywhere. Well, that's just, that's not true. That is not correct. And I'm not, and again, I'm not saying that anyone who has been, you know, saw that video and was panicked by it is, you know, lacking, lacking a relationship with God or lacking, you know, lacking the grace of the sacrament of, of confirmation or anything. But this is a real dynamic. You need to be able to look at a situation and size it up and size it up accurately and real time and not jump to wild conclusions and not see conspiracies where none exist. We have to be able to look at a situation and call a spade a spade. And you know what? Sometimes a dead, a dead bovine is just a dead bovine that died of heat stress. And sometimes, for example, oh, how can we tie this into another concept that we talk about here a lot on the Barnhart podcast? Sometimes just a substantially erroneous um, uh, attempted partial resignation is just a substantially erroneous attempted partial resignation. And there's no secret Gnostic code or anything like that associated with it need to look at the situation, be able to size it up and draw an accurate, true conclusion quickly in real time. That's the gift of counsel from the Sacrament of Confirmation. So 10,000 dead cattle in western Kansas at this time of year is about as meaningless the overall cattle supply as if you took out 10,000 lawyers. Yes, it's a good start, but it doesn't actually <laughs> solve all the corruption. <laughs> I was thinking the same words. It's a hell of a good start. <laughs> No, no, no. Uh, and in terms it, of conspiracy, yeah. do we do we actually have to worry about whether or not Bill Gates can control the weather? Oh, that's another episode. <laughs> or any of them. Uh, uh, <laughs> that That's kind of your wheelhouse. You're Mr. Meteorology lately. So uh, Super Nerd is keeping all of us whenever whenever a weather system or, or a severe weather moves in. Super Nerd is... Um, sending us messages and showing us real-time um, uh, radar and so on and so forth. So that's kind of your new hobby, I can tell. It's fascinating. And uh, when you live in the Midwest, it, it can be useful to, to follow all that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so 10,000 dead cattle, not the, not a great idea. But then again, like, like you said, this is also something that is more a, a symptom anytime you're going to have the, um, the concentration feedlots. And, and also something yeah. you, you mentioned, the uh, and I didn't really... Uh, appreciate this until you started mentioning it but the the fermentation process of, of the rumen the mm -hmm. thought that came to mind is like when i uh, mow my lawn and bag the grass if i put it into a pile wait a couple of days it's 140 150 it's almost hot enough to um generate oh, steam on the inside of it i yep. imagine cows are going through exactly the same process oh absolutely it's that's a that's a really good um 
that's a really good uh, comparison to make. It's an internal composting situation almost. Yeah, the heat the heat that the rumen produces is tremendous. So when when they get in a situation where they're overheated and they can't shed heat out of their bodies, they just die. And uh, I think a lot of people in this day and age, I, I think a lot of people don't appreciate because so many of us now have air conditioning, have um, what I personally have is de dehumidifier. Uh, for me, a dehumidifier is really all I need in the summer. And I'm so grateful for it because it's so much cheaper than running, an, running a compressor on an air conditioning unit. Um, People used to, human beings used to die a lot in the summer, and there are there have been heat waves. Like for example, in there was one in Paris not too uh, well. I say not too long ago, but it's probably been like twenty years ago. I remember there was a huge heat wave in Paris. It that used to be killed. every five or ten years. Uh, there was yeah. a heat wave in France, and all, a whole bunch of old people would die. Yes, because nobody has air conditioning there for some reason. Even though they have nuclear power all up and down the country, they could probably power uh, the, the air conditioning. It just they, doesn't get that hot. It doesn't. It's get just that not hot. their culture. Yeah. yeah, and Chicago. You'll hear about you know X number of elderly people died in a summer heat wave in Chicago. Human beings, we are. In a certain sense, we're we're a lot sturdier than we think we are. But then in other in other areas, we're more delicate than a lot of us realize. And heat is one of those things. And frankly, you know, the fact that only ten thousand head of cattle died, and listen, guys, that number's gonna go up. That number's probably gonna go up considerably. Because like I said, ten thousand head in western kansas and I, apparently that heat went all the way up into nebraska oh goodness as as you know insurance claims and so on and so forth and reports come in that number is going to go up um okay well that gets to a, a different question at what point does it become significant are we talking about a million mm, well if you if you're killing 125,000 a day but then again the other thing to remember is when something like this happens those they aren't all those cattle that died weren't all going to be killed on exactly the same day so it's spread out there's cattle on cattle are on feed and confinement feedlots for months so statistically on average you would think if there's a if there's a heat loss thing like this that all of those cattle that are dead are going to be spread across the kill. So it's not like it's one day's kill that's going to be wiped out. It's, it's a, few, a few thousand head on this day and a few thousand head on this day, or even a few hundred head on this day, a few hundred head on this day, and you just spread that over. So again, it's, the system is so big that there's, there's a tremendous buffer built in there. Um, yeah, I mean, if you were talking about really messing with the availability of food, goodness, you, you'd be, you'd have to be flirting. If there's two million head on feed in Kansas, I mean, you, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of cattle would have to die in order for there to be a, a legitimate um, effect on the beef supply let me put it this way, an effect on the beef supply and the price of beef that is more severe than what, you know, Bidenflation is doing. Bidenflation is far, far, far more severe an attack 
on the price of beef than than any heat wave damage would be. The heat wave damage would just be a quick a quick localized hit, and then it would pass. Um, Bidenflation, that's everyone all day, every day, and it and it, it's not transitory. <laughs> it, it lasts and lasts and lasts for years and years, just like in the seventies. So don't rush out to the supermarket to get more beef uh, out, out of fear. No. It's not. It shouldn't be going up in price. Just be, actually, beef's probably well, going up in price more because of diesel than anything else it, at this well, point. Well, exactly because of inflation and because of diesel. That's that's the issue. It's not. It's not this. It's not ten thousand deads in Southwest Kansas. No, sir. That's not even a drop in the bucket. So if somebody in the media is, is claiming that beef is going up in price because of the die-off in Western Kansas, they're lying. Which means they're it, lying. Which means it's yep. probably going to be on all networks then, right? Exactly. They're going to claim, they're going to try to say that the fact that it was hot for a few days in western Kansas in June and that 10,000 head of cattle died or whatever it ends up being, let's let's double that. Let's say it ends up being 20,000. 20,000 head of cattle died in western Kansas due to a heat wave coupled with stagnant air is proof of catastrophic global climate change. And um, it's, they're going to use that as a CYA for Bidenflation. Absolutely. No question. And they're lying through their teeth. 1,000%. Okay. I have no more questions at this point. Um, I know we wanted to do something a little bit different with the podcast and, and address this, this uh, solo topic since this was so perfectly in your wheelhouse and teed up for exactly. you. And. Yeah. Um, I guess I guess only one other question. I don't know if this is really so much in your wheelhouse for uh, the topic of, of getting prepared for more crazy things coming. If somebody doesn't have experience with cattle and and uh, growing, raising, feeding, and eventually butchering cattle, I guess that part gets outsourced. Uh, is it is it too late for somebody to start getting into the cattle business, or is uh, any time a good time? No, it's not. It's not too late. But understand what you need to have. You need to have some ground. You need to have some pasture with some grass. You need to do your research. You need to know, you know, what the forage is that you have on land that you either own or, or are leasing. And you need to know what the carrying capacity of that land is given the forage that's growing on it. And um, you don't, it do, you don't have to be huge. You don't have to be a hundred thousand head feedlot. This is like one of the key points that I make in the cattle marketing school that I taught and in a certain sense still teach, but only, but only through my DVD is that there's, there's a big misunderstanding that you have to be huge. You have to have, you know, thousands of head of cattle in order to make any money. That's not the case. But having said that, you can be tiny, you know, you can have five head or whatever. You could even have like three head, um, but you, they have to have something to eat and they have to be able to grow. And when they get to a certain weight, you need to have an ability to slaughter them. Um, and like Super Nerd said, that is probably, that is not something that you can do yourself. I mean, it, I, yeah, I do know, I am personally acquainted with people who, who can slaughter at home, but it is a, it is a tremendous skill set. And if you don't know what you are doing, you can end up poisoning everybody. Because if you allow the digestive tract, not to be gross, but if you allow the digestive tract to corrupt the meat and the body and get 
you get manure all over everything you can it can just end up being a complete disaster so um you got to get you have to have access to someone where you can either transport the animal to them or there are now and i think this is a talk about a fabulous business model for an industrious young man or young men are these mobile abattoirs where they ha they have a trailer and they drive around and they slaughter animals cattle hogs sheep goats whatever but they'll they'll come to your place with their trailer and they will slaughter the animals inside the trailer um that's a that's a heck of a business model talk about having a secure future goodness um but you have to have somebody to be able to do that you can't it's there's more to it than you think and it's going to get more difficult as the culture and the economy break down um and even as it is right now the you know little the little teeny tiny um slaughterhouses that are in small town small towns all throughout the central u.s wherever there are cattle they're called locker plants so if you have a little local locker plant well good luck good luck finding an opening to have your own animal killed in a locker plant these days because everybody and their uncle is lined up to have a locker plant kill kill their own animal and then process it and they you know instead of going to the grocery store and buying your ground beef and your brisket and this that and the other you take your own animal to the locker plant and pay pay him to do it good good luck finding a slot to get in there because those guys have lines for months they're booked for months in advance and this is all a new phenomenon you know since all of this biden inflation started really um i mean they've locker plants have been doing well for a while but right now it's just it's completely out of control you've got you got to be like somebody's brother-in-law or something to get into a locker plant at this point to have an animal slaughtered so, so it's you, not too late but you gotta understand you don't just waltz into it yeah so if you're thinking about getting into raising livestock uh go ahead and buy your options for for spots in the slaughter uh, slaughterhouse now in the locker in plant, the locker yeah. plant i mean yeah it may, may, the first thing you need to do is you need to make friends with someone somehow some way who can who can get the thing killed and processed because what what's the point otherwise there's no point that is why these animals exist so that we can harvest them slaughter them and they will provide us with you know what they provide us with delicious delicious meat and leather and so on and so forth yeah if only somebody had a plan to um, build back better and actually extend infrastructure that would help the country yep absolutely the cattle business needs to go back to more grass finishing and needs to go back to not more huge, gigantic uh, kill plants. Although, I, I, when I toured um, when I toured kill plants in the late '90s, it was to say that it was impressive doesn't doesn't quite do it justice. The the almost the the balletic beauty of how these animals are slaughtered and harvested and the care that is taken and the cleanliness i mean guys walk everything's white everything's white inside a kill plant there's guys walking around with basically fire hoses just spraying everything down at all times there are guys walking around with steam guns so that they can steam corruption off of the carcass at any time um the, the the machinery that has been developed 
to cleanly and quickly and efficiently slaughter cattle is just is amazing and they die <laughs> they die better deaths in the sense of not suffering or anything like that than any of us will but remember they're not rational intellects and so therefore suffering has absolutely no merit for them so we we seek to take their suffering to zero and and we have we we have taken animal slaughter suffering to a zero level um the the way they are killed they're knocked in the head so that they are they're dead they're brain dead but their heart continues to beat for you know i don't know 30 seconds to a minute and you have incredibly skilled workers who as soon as they're knocked in the head and the the mechanism that they're on has them hanging upside down which is instantly it's within like three seconds from being knocked in the head to they're hanging upside down um a guy who is i'm sure very well paid and extremely extremely skilled goes in slits their slits their neck open vertically reaches in with a huge long knife and knows exactly where to go and cuts their jugular and their heart is still beating because they've been knocked in the head at this point for only about maybe 15 seconds probably less than 15 seconds and once the jugular's cut, just the blood just pumps out. And you know, I stood there and watched it. I did a full tour of, of slaughter plants and the heart's beating and you can see the heartbeat because the blood is just gushing out with the heartbeat out of their, out of their throat. The death that they have is completely painless. They never see any of it coming. Um, every, there is a strict observance of silence in the area where the cattle are approaching the, the, the guy with the with the stun gun they they never they're completely relaxed um they never see any of it coming and that's that's to everybody's benefit it's to their benefit and it's to our benefit economically because if they're freaked out and stressed and they have a bunch of adrenaline pumped into their blood system it totally messes up the meat in fact it can turn the meat black it's called a dark cutter if you have an animal that's just horribly stressed right before it's killed it's it the meat is ruined it's ruined um so it's it's not good for anybody and we do have it down and the fact that we produce as much meat as we do beef pork poultry and and people aren't just getting food poisoning from this all the time it's it's borderline miraculous how good we've gotten at animal processing and meat processing um so that's my little hoorah but it can also be done on a small scale but you've got to know what you're doing so that you don't get you know the contents of especially the lower gi tract of those animals just sp spraying all over everything that's a disaster and that's how people get sick so you mentioned that the slaughter lockers i, I keep messing up that name the um Locker plants. Locker plants. Those things are backed up and booked for months. Would mm -hmm. that also mean that somebody who wants to learn the trade might be able to get in and lend a hand and, and oh, actually absolutely. learn? Yeah, absolutely. I would think if a young man wanted to apprentice, not even a young man, maybe a, a middle-aged man wanting to start a second career, and you've got, you know, you're a manly man, and you've got physical strength, and you're not squeamish, oh, oh, absolutely. It'd be an absolutely fantastic skill to learn and financially the world would be your oyster you'd be everybody's friend 
I was about to say, what if you're somebody who deals most, mostly with computers and, and cloud development, then you said manly men, so maybe I'm not, not there. No, actually, I, I would imagine that if you, <laughs> if you qualified for, for the kill locker and, and, and doing all the slaughtering, that would also translate to smaller animals like, say, for example, deer and, and elk and things like that. Oh, sure. I mean, it scales. It's the same thing. You, you, have to, you have to be able to slit the animal's throat, get it bled, and then the big thing is getting the digestive tract um, cut off, tied off, and then out of the animal's body. Then the next thing is, I, I think I said, you got to get the, you got to get the hide off of the, the animal. And then from there, you know, once you have a dehided carcass that's been gutted, um, you know, you, at that point, that's, you're kind of home free at that point. Cause all you have to do at that point is just cut, is cut the, cut the carcass up into, usable portions or storable portions um but yeah it's uh, i strongly 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 recommend um anybody who can get into that and listen it it doesn't it doesn't require much and i'm not trying to be racist here but who who's doing this work in the united states um 20 25 years ago when i was when I was in the business and I was in university and I was touring the big packing plants, the big packing plants, it's, it's 100% Mexicans doing all of this, you know? And um, I remember, oh, the, I remember on going on one tour of one plant in Nebraska, huge plant in Nebraska, and we were watching the guy whose job it is to cut the ribeye out, the entire ribeye, out of the carcass. And for those of you who don't know, the ribeye is basically the most valuable cut, okay? So his job is to cut the ribeye out of the carcass with the perfect edge of fat, not too much, not too little, and, you know, make the thing beautiful. And apparently that guy made an enormous amount of money and had tremendous seniority and he could he could call his own shots and this this is this is a mexican dude okay doesn't speak english very well working in a working in a kill plant in the middle of nebraska and he could call he could go at any time because he was so highly skilled he could go to the manager of the plant and say look i'm going back to mexico i'm going back for i don't know two three months i'll be back when i'm back i'll let you know and the manager would say, yes, sir, just let me know. He could, he could completely call his own shots because he was so skilled that he had that kind of seniority. So, you know, being able to, having that manual dexterity and being able to use a knife, that's a, it's a huge, huge skill. Well, simply being, being skilled at whatever it is you do, mm -hmm. that, that's always the number one thing to have. Um, the latitude of, of being free to, to do whatever you want. And, and I know this applies to computer programming as much as, as anything else, simply because you, you, if, you, if you're somebody who loves to learn and continues to develop your, your, your skills and your craft, you'll always be in demand. It doesn't matter what the field is, whether it's kill houses or whether it's uh, farming or, or woodworking or anything. It's But I would say at this point, you know, the, the trope is learn to code, right? Well, every everyone and his uncle, everyone that gets fired from from CNN or whatever, every everyone just goes and learns to code. And so at a certain point, there is a market saturation for that skill set. 
you want to talk about a skill set where there is not a market saturation and it's it's not learn to code it's learn to cut you know it's learn to slaughter that's if if you if you are willing to do work like that that is that would be huge you could that would be a very, very good way to have job security for the rest of your life. And like I said, ultimately, you wouldn't be stuck living in these geographical uh, locations where the kill plants are now. And I understand a lot of people don't want to live in southwest Kansas. I understand a lot of people don't want to live in central Nebraska or the Texas panhandle. But like I said, if we can get our economy more healthy and get the food production, the cattle production, back to more diffuse, closer to the consumer, just spread out all over the place so that there's you know a few cattle here, a few cattle here, every little town has a locker plant. You could, uh, you, you know, you could live in a, anywhere you want because people need food and people want food. And if you could set up a locker plant somewhere in some, you know, very pleasant beaver cleaver, Andy Griffith Mayberry kind of a kind of a town, then you could you could live that that white picket fence dream in as much as anyone will be able to as as the US, the former US falls apart. But there's always going to be people and they're all there will always be people eating food. So that's why I got into it. Food is one of the most secure business tracks that there can possibly be. As long as there are human beings alive, there's going to be the demand for food and the necessity for food. So it's something that can never, ever go away. Indeed. Yeah, I was, I was going to make a comment about your learn to code things like bring it bring it on because most of the people saturating the job market are not necessarily the most skilled. So again, that goes back to have, having mm. having skills and being good at what you do. True. But yeah, I, many times I thought about changing careers, and who knows? Maybe someday I finally will. I don't know. Really, I've never heard I've never heard any of these inklings before. Uh, there's the the financial motivation to do it's not there. It, yeah. it When when you're good enough at coding, you, you get you get compensated really well for it. So. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, don't have a midnight midlife crisis or anything like that. I think no. I think Super Mommy would probably talk about slaughter. I think she'd probably kill yourself. <laughs> On that note, I think we should probably wrap up. Probably. Um, initially, I was thinking this would be like twenty to thirty minutes, but yeah, okay, we can make plans about that, and it goes fifty minutes anyway. Um, this is a atypical podcast, so we're not going to do the typical wrap up. Um, if you have any questions, comment, feedback, the email address is podcast at barnhart.biz and we'll do a regular full-length uh, multi-topic podcast about uh, our normal fare later i'm not sure when that'll be but um, any final words parting shots before we wrap up no just thanks and guys remember don't run around with your hair on fire and don't believe don't believe everything that you see do a little do a little digging and and i mean it's it's an easy thing to go on to a search engine and type in how many cattle are there in Kansas? And then you'd see, oh wait, there's over six million. So if ten thousand are dead, that isn't as big as a deal, a big a deal as I thought it was. That, I mean, just that by itself would be a simple little check. So, but again, I don't blame people for being freaked out by that. Well, before this conversation, I wasn't entirely sure either. I mean, I know you wrote about it earlier today, and I'm, I'm not poking fun about not reading your blog. I just was busy with doing other things <laughs> like writing no. code. So. 
I was going to get around to it, and I will before we publish. So, okay. Alrighty. Until next time, I am Super Nerd, and I'm Ann. Thanks, guys. God bless.